welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Let's go ahead and pray one more time before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, what we can see is the foundation of our salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you will uh, just speak through the, the message today that uh, the pastor will get out of the way and your name will be glorified in it. Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. Uh, thank you for coming um, and showing up today. We're really glad to see you. I, every time I come in, I see new faces, so I know that the church is doing what it's supposed to do, which is uh, invite new people. Um, and if this is your first time coming today, I thank you for being here. We do have some information in the back, and we'd love to say hi to you, get to know your name, and uh, let you know that we're glad that you're here. Um, also, like Mary said, there's a lot of announcements in the back, and um, if you have not signed up to set up, uh, please do. It's always a blessing to come in and see the chairs already set up and coffee's brewing and all that's being done. Um, so if you were involved in the setup of the church, can you raise your hand? Yesterday, yesterday. If you did it last night or yesterday, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Lacey is awesome, so thank you very much. Um, it is, it is a, uh, it's a blessing to have people that will come inside the church on uh, Saturday, set the, uh, the stage up and set the chairs up. So when we come in, it's nice and relaxing and it looks like a church. So if you haven't done that uh, before, please do in the future. Um, last week, Kevin was in the first part of chapter two and the focus was staying focused on salvation and not uh, drifting away. So if you heard last week's message and you made it to your small group and you discussed all the questions. That was the main premise of the, the message was not drifting away from uh, the salvation that we have and who the salvation is. And this week, today, what we're going to talk about is the foundation of our salvation. It's the, the bold title of that section of verses. And we're looking at the supremacy of who Christ is and, and the work that he's done. Um, I, I hope that you uh, are uh, able to make it to a small group. I, I really think it's a great place for us to be able to connect and then also to discuss the questions. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't, like Mary said, please look uh, into joining one of those. But as we start into this story and we finished up what Kevin had talked about last week, again, staying focused, not drifting away, because that is such an easy thing for us to do. Um, and as Paul is talking to this be, uh, leaguered uh, little church, I think so much about what we are in the city of Boston. As that little church, as Paul is sending this letter, and we believe it's Paul that was sent the letter, that uh, they were being um, <clears throat> challenged and uh, re uh, facing persecution and difficulties. This is the time frame that they're underneath uh, the Emperor Nero. And if you don't know much about him, he was referred to as the beast. He uh, celebrated in the, uh, uh, the murder of many or hundreds and thousands of slaves during the uh, Colosseum uh, events where they would go in and just brutally murder and sacrifice people. And, and he was he was considered, they called him the beast. He was just an awful human being and went down in history as uh, one of the worst emperors in Rome's uh, uh, long, t long tenure. But <clears throat> as they were facing this persecution, Paul was sending them this letter. The author of Hebrews was sending them this letter saying, hey, stay strong, stay focused. Don't get lost in uh, all the persecution. And don't forget that this is something that we've been waiting for. If you look back in the, he would say, look back into the history of scripture, all the way back to the beginning into the garden, that it's all been leading up to Jesus and he refers to him several times in these short verses, but he's trying to encourage them not to get uh, lost in it and to focus on what this is. And, um, and I think that's something that we can, fa uh, we can focus on ourselves. As you're looking and you go to your day-to-day -day life and you see the persecution, and then if you're watching the news and you're getting lost and like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. Everything bad seems to be happening. And is this the moment? Is this the moment? Is Jesus coming back now? And, and we get lost in, in the the day-to-day -day grind of the difficulties that we face in life, that we can sometimes start to go, is this really gonna happen? Is this gonna happen now? Or, or what is really going to happen to us? Is this nation of the United States of America, is it going to make it? Is it gonna crumble? What's my future look like? 
Do I need to stay in this job or do I need to change this city? Or, and you start wondering, what do I need to do? And what we need to stay focused on is what Paul was saying to them last week in the verses that we read. And in this week, in these verses, say, stay focused. It is Christ that is our salvation. That is the foundation of our hope. That is the foundation of the direction. So um, that's pretty much the whole thing. So we can go. Um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, there is some more that I'm going to share because my hope is that as we go through these verses and we start to unpack them a little bit more that we're going to see that the gospel is in this short set of verses that the gospel is what our foundation is and the gospel is the belief and understanding of who Jesus is and his death burial and resurrection um, so let's let's just dive into this uh, if you have your bibles I highly encourage you to to uh, follow along <laughs> And I'm going to give you a lot of verses that you can um, write down and then go back and reference and check them. And always check me because that's an, that's an important thing because um, I may make a mistake and give you the wrong verse. So you can always ask me later if it's the, what the correct one is. But because that happened last week or last time. But what I want you to uh, know is that there's going to be some verses that are going to support everything that I say. And that's the beautiful thing about Scripture is that you can proof text it because what uh, one verse says, there's going to be hundreds more that are going to support it. And uh, the Bible just is one, one proof text after another, one uh, support verse after another. And that's the beautiful thing because it is one author. Although that there's 40, over, over 40 authors that wrote uh, in the Bible, there is just one true author, and that's the Holy Spirit that leads us in the direction of what, we need to, what needed to be written. So let's get started. What was the original intent of um, what God had done for us? And it says when uh, Tony was reading, it says, For it was not, not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we speak. And, and what he's saying is like, what is going to be, or who is going to be in charge of the world in the future? What is the direction and what is the plan that God had? Because when we think about this is that the, and this is what's cool about this set of, uh, section of verses, that they, they start off with the end of the story. And if you like knowing what the outcome is before of a movie or a book and you jump into the back of it, this is given uh, to us right away. He says, it's not for the angels that, are going, that the world is going to be subjected to. It's going to be those of us that are saved, that are in Christ, that the world will be, uh, uh, we will have dominion over the world. So when we look at um, where we're at the end of the story, the end of the story is that we are going to be in, in charge of the world, that it's not going to be the angels. And the beautiful thing about that is that when we think about um, how, how we know this to be true, it's because it's testified in Scripture. It's testified in the Old Testament. And it says right here, it says, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him? And this is one of the coolest things when I started reading this, because you've probably heard that statement before. Who, am, who is man or what is man that you were mindful of them. And wh why is God thinking about us? And this section of verses right here is pulled from Psalms 8. If you guys uh, have that, you write that down. It's Psalms 8. And Psalms 8 starts off and it starts talking about the majesty of the, the stars and the planets and the moon and the uh, psalmist is looking up into the sky and going, you, O oh Lord, you created all of this. And how majestic is this? And yet, be, even that, you do that, you are mindful of me, you think of me, you consider me, you have a plan for me. And at the moment that that psalmist was reading, they did not have telescopes. They did not, uh, they weren't able to see the galaxies upon galaxies out there. They didn't understand the complexity of how the, uh, the, the moon orbits around the, the earth and how the, the earth orbits around the sun and all the planets work together that even one little change in any one of those orbits that everything kind of spins out of control that, that God who controls all of the universe thinks about us considers us, loves us. And that, that psalmist is sitting there thinking, who, who are we? What is man that you are mindful of him? And then we start to go through and then it says the next verse, or the son of man that you 
care for him. And you start to think, all right, well, son of man, it could be referring to us. It could be any of us uh, that we are sons of men. Um, But the next line identifies that son of man. And if you know Daniel 7 or if you know Revelation or if you know when Jesus is standing before uh, Caiaphas and the rest of the religious leaders and he refers to himself as the son of man, that next line says, or the son of man that you care for him. And the next line uh, identifies him that you made him for a little while lower than angels. And when we consider that, that, that when Jesus came to earth, that he became lower than angels. Now, his deity never left. There's no doubt about that. His deity never left, but he took on the incarnation of man. He became man and with a physical body. And our bodies are less than, than what angels are and who are not going to perish, that are not going to die off. Their, their bodies aren't going to, to wither and fade. And as I get older and older, I start to understand this getting old thing and body wearing out. Uh, but the angels aren't like that. But when Jesus lowered himself and he became uh, lower than an angel's, um, and just for a brief while, but when they see the next line, he says, he was crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subject to him. The, the end of the story is given to us, and the redemption story is laid out for us. The original intent for man was not to uh, <clears throat> be in the state of decay and this to decline. And if our original parents, Adam and Eve, had done well and not uh, made a mistake, not a mistake, they had not sinned in the garden, this could be, you know, this could be a perfect environment. We could be in a place that is not in total decay. But, but unfortunately, even though God created a perfect world, created a garden and placed man in it, man failed. And we know that, the, that God did this because in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds uh, of the heavens and over the livestock over all the earth and every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him and he made male and female he created them and God blessed them and he said to them this is the job they had be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth our original parents were placed into a perfect environment walking with God seeing and communicating in with them on a daily basis and they had two very simple jobs have dominion over uh, all creation, glorifying God in it, and to be fruitful and multiply. The expectations, to, they, they had expectations to meet. <clears throat> and their purpose, one thing, or two things, glorify God and enjoy him forever. How would they have glorified God? By tending to the garden, doing the things that they were uh, asked to do. Um, and it wasn't, that, it wasn't that it was hard, it's just that we're humans and we're flawed and we, we fell. And we know that in this case, even though God had created a perfect place and uh, Adam failed, it says in Romans 5, 12, death in Adam and life in Christ. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So a perfect environment, a sinful man, sins and are now our world is break, broken. And how do we fit into this? It says, what is man that we are mindful of, uh, that, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that, that you care for him? As we see ourselves, we are into that broken world now. And our only redemption is going to be Christ. But we are in this, this broken world and we are, are struggling on a daily basis to be able to survive, to be able to stay focused. And as we think about this beleaguered little church that's being uh, oppressed by the outside world, um, that there is this hope. And this is the place that we're at. Now we never need to think that we are not being considered, that we are being forgotten, that we are um, not of any significance because the creator God and in the songs that we sang earlier, that the creator God knows who we are, knows who you are, considers you, 
provides the, the breath that you breathe, uh, the joy that you have in this world. Um, even the food that you eat is provided by this creator who loves you and considers who you are. And as we walk in this world and we know the struggle, we know the, uh, the, uh, the hard times, and we, we have so many things to celebrate sometimes and so many things that are difficult for us to handle. Um, we are, we had a, in, the, in this congregation, we have a new birth. Um, the Garcias had a, a child uh, last week. And what a wonderful, wonderful um, experience that is. And that's something that brings joy to us. And, and we also had a, a wedding on Monday. If you guys didn't make that cold, rainy wedding, I was in, <clears throat> I was in Rio on that day, but it was really nice uh, where I was. But I know that the weather here was tough, but there was another celebration because we now have uh, a married couple who are glorifying God in that sacrament. And then we also have struggles. We have someone that we know that lost a loved one this week. Uh, they were a believer, so there's a celebration there, but it's still loss, and, and our lives go up and down. But it's nice to know, and it's comforting to know that there's a faithful God that does not forget who we are, that knows you by name. The God that created all the, the heavens, every star, and calls them by name, there's a lot more stars than there are people, and yet he knows them by name and calls them. So even you, he knows uh, you, and he knows me, and he knows, uh, and he's mindful of us. And that's just a very loving, comfortable thing to know. And that is, that's where we are in this plan. <clears throat> but knowing that there was, it's not just that, that he knows us, and he sends us on our way, and he goes, hey, good luck to you. I've done all I can for you. I gave you life. I've given you uh, a purpose, and off you go. It's not that. He doesn't leave us uh, to, our, to our own devices. Thank God he doesn't leave us to our own devices because I know in my heart uh, if I was left to do whatever I would undo, I would wander away. If you don't know the, uh, <coughs> the, uh, the song that says, uh, prone to wander, come now fount, it's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's that we will leave him, but he is faithful to us. And the, in the line in the, the song says, uh, bind my heart to thee. It says, like a fetter. And this is one of my favorite examples when I learned this. It's like, bind my heart to thee. It's a fetter is a piece of leather strap, and they used it to handcuff people. Um, and they would take it, wrap it around your wrist, and wrap it around like in a figure eight, and you were not get, your hands were not coming apart. And in that song, it says, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to leave you, prone to wander, but God, bind me so I do not leave you. Do not leave you, and He's good to keep us and protect us because He's mindful of us, and that's a wonderful thought to know that the God that created all things, the God of the universe, the, has had a plan for us from the very beginning, and knowing that that Jesus is that that is comforting so it says you made him a little while lower than angels completely does not make sense that the the deity the god of the universe would take himself and then come down to us in any any religion in the world that is such a hard thing to imagine um, if you look at uh, islam it's hard to imagine that Jesus, and this is where they struggle, that Jesus is, um, uh, is God's son, that he would die on a cross. There's no way that you would have your prophet in their religion do that. And every other religion throughout all history, deities didn't come down. They didn't, they didn't uh, subject themselves to living in a life that we live the suffer and the pain, because we know that Jesus struggled and had pain. He, he uh, wept when people died, and he comforted those that he knew that were suffering. He lived this life that we are struggling with, but he did it perfectly, and that is, our, that is a strength for us. But he was made lower than angels. He uh, condescended himself to become a creature, um, in his human form, still, still divine, but in his human form became a creature no different than us with all of our suffering and all of our saints. So he understands what we go through. He understands the, the struggles that we have. Uh, but, putting, but the best part is for us and understanding that in his lower state, that in the next line it says, you have crowned him with glory and honor. You've put everything in subjection under his feet. It's that he came here and he 
He did not just live, live a normal life, but he came here and he lived a glorious life. And then in his death, in his resurrection, he is now crowned and seated at the right hand of the Father. That everything is, subjection, has, is in subjection under his feet. And again, I, I think last time I, uh, I was up here, I talked about Psalms uh, 110.1. And if you don't know this, this again is the, the verse that is quoted more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament verse. And it is, come and sit at my right side as I put every nation under your footstool that every nation and everything will be subject to Christ. See, the intention that we face right now or that we see right now is that everything that has been given to God, everything has been given to Christ from God, that he is a ruler of all things. It does not seem like that sometimes. And as we struggle in this life, we look around like it just doesn't seem like it's happening. And the next line, it says, now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At the present, when we look, we look, and we see, we do not see everything in subjection to him. And that's where we sometimes struggle. And it, now take yourself right now, and it's been 2,000 years since Christ uh, walked the earth. There's been wars, there's been, there's been trials, there's been famines, there's been uh, life and death and the roller coaster of everything that we go through, but there's always been the promise of his, final, his uh, ultimate return. Now go back into the Old Testament where um, in the garden and Adam and Eve sinned and God made a promise that the, that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent and how long they waited for them. And they would forget, they would lose their way, they would get distracted, they'd start uh, worshiping uh, false idols and uh, false gods and they would get distracted and they'd lose their focus and he'd have to come, God would come back in in that loving father, that, that loving uh, husband, that groom, and guide them back in. Sometimes there was punishment. There was sometimes they were into, they were sent into um, uh, under authority of other rules, rulers. But there was always that coming back because there was a promise that was made that God made a promise to us as man that there was gonna be a redeemer. And for thousands of years, they waited on it. And in, and in this line of Abraham that we fall as Christ, there was going to be a promised seed that the, that the savior of the world was going to be coming through that uh, promise. We're in no different of a situation because our salvation is a promise, and we'll take communion later, that is a, a symbol of that promise. That promise that there is going to be salvation in our life, that we have the Holy Spirit, and at the end, all things will be made right by um, our, our Redeemer, that we will be in the presence of the Lord. That is the final promise that we have. That is the guarantee. And if we look back in God's promise that he made in the garden that there was gonna be a redeemer and that there was one, that that is Jesus Christ, and that we also can have the same confidence that in the end that there is going to be um, a salvation, that there's gonna be a redemption and there's going to be a place with us in Christ. That's the promise, and that's what he's trying to get across, that don't lose sight of this, that everything is subject. It may not look like it right now, but it is. Don't get lost like the, uh, the, um, the Israel, Israel, Israelites in the Old Testament where they would get lost. Stay focused on what it is, and our focus should be on Christ. That is the foundation of our salvation. But the ultimate plan, but when we see him who for a little while was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. We know that Jesus died on the cross and he was crowned with glory because he was raised from the dead. Nobody else. Jesus was raised from the dead and because of his death, burial, and resurrection, his, his sacrificial uh, death on the cross, we have salvation. So that by grace of God, he might taste death. And this is, one of the, this is probably my favorite line in all of these verses right here. It says, so that by the grace of God, the grace of God, a gift that was given without uh, merit, without deserving, the grace of God, he might taste death. It's God's grace granted to us to allow Jesus to die. It was the plan. 
The serpent, or the seed of the serpent would strike his heel, but he would crush his head. Genesis 3.15. When we see that the grace of God is granted to us by the death that is in Christ, that's, that's encouraging that he is so mindful of us that he had a plan, that he put it into action, that it is his grace that is shown by the death of Christ. That's the, that's the foundation of our salvation. That's the guarantee that we have. And that taste death, <clears throat> that's not a sampling like, ooh, that's really tasty, I like that. Maybe taste in the soup. That's just a small one. That taste, that, that word is defined as the fullment, the taking part in it, taking it all in. It wasn't that he just had a sip of death, it's that he took it all in in his, uh, in his death. And that is for all of us. Every single one of us that is in Christ has that assurance. It's sometimes we may not feel like we have it. And sometimes it may feel that we are lost in uh, maybe a depraved sin. And if you take a snapshot of your day and you're like, oh, I blew it. And you're repentant and you struggle with it, but you're like, man, I blew it. But we need to take in the whole, the whole totality of our life and understanding that there's gonna be days that we're gonna struggle. And there's gonna be days that we may feel like we're up against the whole world. But if we're in Christ, we have that salvation, we have that security, and we have that promise. And knowing that, that in, like in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that sacrificial giving of his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it was when Jesus was in the garden, <clears throat> the night that he was uh, betrayed and the, the day before, the evening before he was crucified. And as he was, as a man, praying and struggling and dealing with the, the, uh, the knowing that he was going to be crucified the next day, that he was going to be uh, brutally beaten, that he was going to be ripped and, uh, whipped and spit on and, and hated by the people that he created. He asked to take this cup from me. And we know from scripture what is in that cup. And that in that cup was the wrath of God. And it was poured out on him, all of it. And, and, and if we don't understand the, 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 the immenseness of that, it's overwhelming to think about one sin that you or I commit damns us to hell. There is no redemption from, uh, from our sin except for what's in Christ. And he took all of that, not just mine, not just a few of mine, but all of that. And it's not that the sin before I'm saved, but it's the sin after I'm saved. I'm still redeemed from those because of him and what he did on the cross. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his triumphal uh, resurrection is my hope. It's not just mine, it's yours and anybody that else uh, that has Christ, that is in Christ. <clears throat> in Romans 5, 17, and I get excited about this, so I'm trying to stay a little calm, but I do get excited because this is the joy that we have. And if you're, if you're struggling in your joy, it's required of you to have joy in Christ. It's required that even in your struggles and your trials and your difficulties, that we are to have joy in Christ. Romans 5.17, and I love, if you don't read Romans often, you should, it's a, a, uh, it's a, uh, it's an encouraging set of, uh, uh, set of books. <clears throat> it says, Romans 5.17, for, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, and that's being Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, and what is that grace? That grace is what put Christ on the cross, that abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, that righteousness that we have comes from who? Jesus and his perfect life. The free gift of righteousness reigns in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There is no other salvation, it's in Christ. The verses that we're reading today in uh, Hebrews is professing that Christ is the foundation of our salvation. In 1 Corinthians, and I love this set too, in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 25, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 25, for as in Adam all die, 
so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Death in Adam, he brought sin into the world. Alive in Christ, he conquers sin and death. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ. I hope that everybody sitting here can honestly and prophetically say, I am in Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. That's, that's what we're looking for. The Old Testament, the believers um, uh, and the followers of God looked forward to the Messiah. What we get to look forward to is his return. Then comes the end and he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. That's what we need to know. That this, this world that we live in, the struggles that we have, the difficulty that we have are all coming under his authority and, and will be destroyed. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his foot. That is the promise. And if you can imagine when you, the, the thought of him just standing and pressing down, he says, I am powerful and I, I am over all powers. There is none greater than me. And that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the final part of what we look forward to as we see ourselves in Christ, our hope and our, uh, and our attention should be on that salvation. It's not the difficulties that we have. And even though there's wonderful things that happen to us, uh, a birth, a marriage, um, or a wedding, it's, and even sometimes there's a, a death, that their celebration is that this is the, uh, the, what we're looking towards. We're looking towards Christ's return. It may not be in our lifetime. It may not. It may be a thousand years from now. But what we still have is a job to do. No different than our parents, um, <laughs> Adam and Eve, had jobs to do in the garden. We also have jobs, and we have a responsibility. And it says <clears throat> in Ephesians in Ephesians 2, it says, but God, and we look about the difficulties that we have, and it says, but God, by being rich in mercy, and I, I always think, say this, if you see a verse in the Bible that says, but God, you need to go back and read the verses before that, because they're going to tell you why they had to say, but God. And in this one, it, you go back and it says, among whom, and this is us, we're t it's talking about, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The difference between us, if you're in Christ, and the rest of the world is the fact that we have Christ, that we're in Christ. The rest of the world suffers and struggles just like we do where there's no difference there. We all go in and out of the difficulties of life. We have seasons of great joy and we have seasons of uh, great uh, trials. But the difference is that we are in Christ. And when we think about this, and I know this because it's, I have HD uh, retention of all of my sins and it's, it's painful when the Holy Spirit goes, do you remember this? This is something we need to repent of. And I still have those, oh my gosh, I forgot about that, but great, now I get to remember it. But it's something that I need to repent of and it's, it's brought that I can then be the more sanctified in my salvation, that knowing that this is something that offended God. I no longer want to uh, dwell on this. I want to repent of it and move on. But among whom we all once lived by the passions of our flesh, not just our physical, but even on our minds, the depravity that we had, we were all children of wrath. So when you hear that, and, and uh, Paul's referring to, uh, speaking to the Ephesians, he says that by nature we are all children of wrath. If you guys have ever heard of this gentleman in Texas named uh, Joel, he says, quote, that 99, I'm gonna to try to use that accent, 99.99% of all people are good people. No, no. It says right here, by nature, we are children of wrath. And that wrath is against God. Our creator, we, we are in uh, wrath with our creator except for one individual who changed everything for us, and that is the person, Jesus Christ, who 
allowed us and brought us into a right relationship, a relationship, a restored relationship with uh, God. And it says, knowing this, that like the rest of mankind, we are children of wrath. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And again, he's mindful of us. He loves us even when we were dead in our uh, trespasses. And I want you to understand this. You're not coming to God. You're not coming to Jesus. You know why? Because you're dead. You're dead. Every person that you talk to who is not in Christ is dead dead in their sins and trespasses. They're not fixing themselves. They're not gonna get cleaned up. They're not gonna get their life all put together because they're still dead in their sins and trespasses when we consider our relationship after death with our creator. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. But God, I love that because you can say we are dead in our sins and trespasses, but God in his rich Uh, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, and again, it's God's grace who put Christ on the cross for us. By grace, you have been saved and and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ Jesus. We have nothing, we bring nothing to the table. He does it all, he creates the universe and mindful of us, fixes our problem because we're dead in our sins and trespasses, gives us a, his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins that we can be redeemed and have a relationship with him and then sits us in the heavenly places with who? In Jesus. Paul in the New Testament refers to in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus 169 times. I think it might be important to know that salvation is where it's only in Jesus Christ. Only. So when you read this, go, okay, it's in Jesus. Okay, it's in Jesus. It's repeated often 169 times that our salvation is where it's in Jesus. And we know this because it's repeated. And if we know that we have Christ and you can use, you sense it, that that salvation is guaranteed. And it says that we are placed to heavenly places in Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. Where? In Christ Jesus all of his love, all of his joy, all of his mercy, immeasurable. We can't fathom how much it is. It's overwhelming. And as we look at the world, sometimes we can get distracted in what it truly is to have this joy. It's there for us. It's in Scripture. If you're avoiding reading Scripture, and you're avoiding your time with, uh, in prayer, you're missing out on this immense joy and the immense riches that we have in this relationship in Jesus Christ. Don't, don't delay. Don't uh, neglect that time. It's immeasurable. And in heaven and in, the, uh, in, in, our, our, in Christ's reign, we have that experience. So in those verses, it takes us from what the end story is going to be, dominion. We have dominion. We're back into this this place where we have dominion over the world and we are ruling. Um, It's not the angels. We're back into the job that that our parents had. We get to come back into this state of this right relationship with God, this reconciliation with our Creator. And yet, uh, and, and th- that's the way this, the uh, verses started off. It gives us the end story. And then it goes through and it says, uh, we are nothing but God is thinks of us. And because he thinks of us, he gives us the redemptive plan. If you, you see the gospel is there, perfect world, sin enters the world, broken world. We, we're in a difficult place. We struggle on it every day. But God, in his rich mercy, sends us the Savior, sends us a, a, his Son that pays for our sins. But not just that, he, he lives the perfect life. So we have that double imputation, that great exchange that he takes on our sin and we take on his righteousness. We stand before God and we are redeemed. That's exciting. In that short little verses, we see it and we know this is going to happen because it's, he's been faithful in the Old Testament. He made a promise 6,000 plus years ago that this was going to happen. That, that 2,000 years ago that there was going to be a Messiah. And he's made another promise that, that he's going to, to 
preserve us until his return and then glorify us. If you haven't read uh, Romans uh, 8 and starting with verse 28, all things work for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And he walks us through that we are going to be predestined and redeemed and justified and glorified. We're still in the sanctification process, but that's the future and the promise that we have that we should not get lost in it. But this is the call of action. Our parents were given a job and they blew it. They had had tend to the garden, have dominion over all things, and be fruitful and multiply. We had those same marching orders. We have a job to do that we are supposed to have dominion over this world. Now, it's not, it's not going to be a monetary uh, dominion. It's not going to be the physical dominion. But we, have to, should have, we are called to have spiritual dominion. And we know this because we're supposed to multiply. You're like, well, where's that at? So Matthew 28. Let's, if you have a time to get there. Matthew 28. And Jesus came to and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a great marching order right there. He's in charge of everything. Everything's been given to me. I am in charge of all things. Now you look at it, he's like, man, you had 11 followers on some mountain and you're saying that you have dominion over all things and you have, your authority is over heaven and on earth. That's just getting started. That was just the pebble that dropped into the water, the ripples out from there. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples, followers of Christ. Our job is to be fruitful and multiply. Our job is to be fruitful and multiply. How do we multiply? He says the next line. Make make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. I can tell you right now, if you open up your Bible, you can find the teachings of Jesus. Read through those. Go and tell people about it. Share the gospel with them. Share the redemptive story. Perfect world, sin, broken world. Send a savior, repentance, back into that perfect relationship. Share the gospel. Share the teachings of Christ. Share share scripture. This is our job. This is our job. There's, there's no, you may have a, a wonderful career. You might have, be in school going to, uh, to get a career. You might be coming up as a young person. You may be at the point of retirement, and now you still have a job. It's your original job. It's your purposeful job. It's the plan that God has for you. Some people think, oh, I don't know what my plan is. I think I'm supposed to be a, a, a nurse. I don't, maybe I'm supposed to be an engineer. That's your side gig. You have a job, and your job is to go. Therefore, make disciples. Baptize them, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. That's our job. There's no deviation from that. If you are in Christ, that's your job. Everything else that maybe gives you some monetary income, that's your side gig, that's your hustle. All right? That's your job. My question is, and this is, and I love you. I really, I mean, I don't know all of you, but I, in Christ, I love you. Um, <laughs> that the day that you die and you stand before God, and, and I'm, this is, again, Kevin likes to talk about the, uh, the movie version. I'm, I'm not great. I don't look care for movies. But if you're standing there and you're there and, you, and they go, all right, so uh, what's your name? And you go, oh, it's, uh, it's Eric. Okay, Eric, how you doing? What did you do? Um, <clears throat> what do you mean? Like, well, what'd you do? What'd you do on earth? And he goes, uh, well, um, I have a, uh, a, a chemical engineering degree and I had a job working for uh, this, this company and I, pr- and I created this uh, this 
thing that I did, well, I can't think, but I created something and the whole world was blessed by it and they go, okay, but what did you do? And he goes, well, I, I had a retirement home. I was like, no, what did you do? And he goes, I don't know. And I said, all right, I'll come back to you. And he comes to the next person and he goes, what, did, what is your name? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm David. All right, fantastic, David. What did you do? Well, I had a doctorate in theology and I wrote a book and um, it's probably the most difficult uh, uh, subject. It explained completely the Trinity. And he's like, wow, okay, so what did you do? Well, I wrote a book that everybody read and I have a you know, doctorate in theology. Yeah, but what did you do? Again, that's your side hustle. He comes to a, another woman. Again, this is just a story, but he comes to this woman and he says, hi, what is your name? Well, I'm, I'm Sarah. Well, what did you do, Sarah? Well, as a stay-at-home mom and, and I had six kids and I supported my husband. Oh, that's fantastic. Tell us some more what you did. Well, I raised my children to love the Lord to not walk, but to stay focused on who he is, who Jesus was. That's amazing, that's fantastic. And what else do you do? Well, I supported my husband and, and he took us into full-time ministry and he took us to the Amazon rainforest and we set up churches and we, we shared the gospel and we, we led people to the Lord and my children had children and, and I shared and I discipled them and I got chills thinking about that. You did something. That's what we're supposed to do. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a, a, a high degree and make a lot of money or be, know the Bible inside and out because you know who knows the Bible inside and out? Satan, probably one of the best theologians. It's not in Christ. He doesn't proclaim the gospel as the one way to, to a right re relationship with God. Very intelligent individual, I'm very sure. I haven't had a conversation with him, but I, I've heard some of his work. Uh, but when you think about this, our job is to glorify God. Stay focused on our salvation and the foundation of our salvation. Our job is to proclaim Christ. I was uh, at a missions conference last week, so I didn't get to see you guys, and, but I had a wonderful time worshiping. I was at a mission conference, and this church was, is, um, is bigger than ours. It started out in a garage, and as they were, door was open and they were uh, sharing and, and uh, worshiping and the message was being preached, people started coming by and standing and listening. And the next week they'd bring chairs so they could sit outside the garage because the garage was already full with the 20 people inside it. And as the church started to grow and grow and grow, they now have about 600 seats in their uh, sanctuary. This is amazing because they're just a couple, there's about a decade ahead of us. They have 600 seats in the sanctuary. They have two bands, which is, oh, that's kind of fun. But they have, at two o'clock on Sunday, the seats go up, not for auction, but for reservation. At two o'clock, you get on the line, you get on the computer and you reserve seats for church on Sunday. If you don't show up, you don't get to be on that reservation the next week. But if you reserve your seats, you have a spot to sit at church. It may not be like you're going, I need six seats, three over here, two there, and that one person over there. But we're all going there, not to be as a family, but to be as a family, the whole body. <clears throat> reserve your seat, there's four services. Four services filled with believers that are desiring to hear the gospel, desiring to, uh, to worship together, and they're being trained to be sent out. This conference was sending <clears throat> individuals to Cuba. There was a couple from London. They were sending Brazilians to uh, Central Africa, uh, to the United States. There were some that landed here a couple days ago. They're sending people. This church sends people. And they don't just send people, they plant churches. Individual starts out, he was like, I was a surfer, and this probably happened a lot of times, but he's a surfer, and he started just talking to his friends, and then all of a sudden he started doing a Bible study at his house, and then as things started to progress, he goes, hey, I, I got a small group, and the pastors came alongside him, and said, all right, well, then we'll train you to be a leader, and for a year, he goes through a leadership uh, course, and he learns how to, to direct and to take this group of people that would not come to the church, but would meet with him during the week, and as he goes, man, it's getting bigger, I'm over 25. 
five, what should I do? And they go, well, then we need to teach you to be a shepherd. So he goes through a year-long process of learning to be a pastor. And then they plant him as a church planter. He started off with some friends that were just surfers. And now he is a, he has a church that's supported by his ascending church. And it's only 10 miles away. But he saw a need, he shared the gospel, he brought people in, he's discipling them and leading them and training them. That's how that church started. He was just attending and he saw a need and he was led by the Spirit to go and do it. And I was, um, I saw um, a, I don't know, it was a survey and the results of the survey came out from churchgrowth.org and it says, how do people start attending church? And there's, you know, if you think about marketing, look, we need to do some advertising. We need to get our name out there. We need to put it on this billboard uh, that everybody can see and they'll come to our church because they see that billboard. And if you know marketing, that's like, hey, if you see that and your eyes are drawn to it, therefore that's gonna help you draw in customers, right? From advertising, 2% of the people attend, uh, will uh, come attend that church. And most of them are probably Christians. Like, oh, there's a church. Let's go see it. An, organi- organizi- oh, an organized visitation of being invited in. It's come and visit. Just come and experience what we do. The music is this. Maybe it's in a big event. Maybe uh, we're going to have an open um, uh, a car- Christian karaoke. And everybody comes and sings their own Christian song. That might draw... That might draw 6%, 6% might come because of that. Invited by a pastor. The pastor goes, hey, you know what? Why don't you come to church? I'm preaching, you'll love it. No, it's not that, but, but 6% of people will attend church from an uh, invitation from a pastor. The overwhelming majority of people who attend church, 86% of attendees, people who are invited by a friend. A friend invites them to church and they come. When I think about that church in Brazil, and it was amazing, it was so much fun to worship with them. These people are coming because they're going out and saying, hey, let me share Jesus with you. Let me share his plan for you. Let me share the redemptive story with you. And why don't you come to church and worship with me? Why don't you come and see what we're doing? Just come and hear the message. 86% of people who attend church come because they were invited by a friend. Guess what your job is? Can you imagine that even though this little church in this city of Boston that is less than 2%, less than 2% Christian, evangelical, believing in Jesus, have a Bible at at my house, I open it up, less than 2% of those that live in Boston area are believers. Less than 2% are in Christ. Guess what that means? You have a target rich environment that you can just pick somebody out of the blue and that person probably is not in Christ. That is somebody that you can share the gospel with. That is your job. Wherever you're at, change your attitude, change your outlook on life from saying, I go to school here, but I share the gospel. I work here, but I share the gospel. I live in this house, but I share the gospel. That's what our job is. There's nothing else. I mean, you can pretty much just fail at your career, and if you succeed and you thrive in sharing the gospel, you're going to hear that wonderful line, well done, good and faithful servant. And at the end, you don't get to take anything with you. If you haven't read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, do it, because everything that we, and especially in this country, focus our attention on is everything that's gonna be burned up when, uh, on Judgment Day. Everything that is for Christ is going to be uh, uh, preserved, and that's what we wanna hear, that good job, good job. 
But if we change our focus and we focus on our side hustle so much that we lose sight of what we're supposed to do, what our true job is, that's not the answer we're going to get. That's not the response. So here we go. What do we do? We know what our job is. Call to action is get out and share the gospel. Do this. Start praying that God will bring people into your life that you can share the gospel with. If you do this, I guarantee it, it will happen. If you humble yourself and say, I want to share the gospel. I may not know how to do it. I may stumble over it. I may sound like a fool, but I want to share the gospel because that's my true calling. Not everybody's called to to, uh, go to seminary. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not everybody is. And in fact, most people who go to seminary, 85% of them will never pastor. And even from those who do become pastors, even less of them will even finish out their lives as pastors. Who's supposed to do it? Us. We're called to do this. Ask. Show me who needs to hear the gospel. Bring them into my life. Beg and plead that God will give you the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And pray that you will be submissive uh, to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because Kevin's talked about that one story where he was on the train. If you haven't heard it, he's told it a a couple hundred times. (laughs) Seriously. And I hope he's listening right now. Kevin, I'm talking about you. That time when you were on the train and you felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and you didn't do it. Don't be Kevin. No. <laughs> no. Because I know Kevin because he, he shares the gospel all the time. But, but don't be that person that you, you feel it like, oh, I could do it, but I really got to go do this. Do your job. Be Bel- Bill Belichick said this over time. Every time they want a Super Bowl, just do your job. If you do your job, guess what's going to happen? That seat and that seat and that seat and all these ones that are empty, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a bottom in them. I, should, I almost said something else, but there's going to be somebody sitting in there. All these seats. Can you imagine this church having to do a, a, a call in to reserve a seat for the next week's service? How wonderful would that be? We go, you know what, this is getting too big. Every seat's filled. We're going to have to go to two services. And boom, multiplication, multiplication happens. We start doing what we're called to do, going and making disciples, be fruitful and multiply. And then all of a sudden, now we got two services. And we go, oh my gosh, the seats are filled. We're sending out missionaries. We're planting churches. Even though it's a, it's a church down the street that, that has this whole building going to church. There's 20 people in his living room. We're planting a church. Maybe it's just on the other side of the river. But we're planting churches. We're sending out missionaries. Don't forget, we are missionaries in this city, but we're also called to go. I think it said, therefore go. We need to do this. Tell a friend, bring them in. You are the 86% that is going to be bringing somebody in. Three services, is it possible? Yeah, we'll have to shorten our sermons up a little bit because otherwise we'll be going for all the way to 6 p.m. at night, which wouldn't be a bad thing. Let's go five services. It's only going to happen. It's not going to be 2% come in because of a pastor or 6% come from a pastor, 2% from advertising. 86% comes from you sharing the gospel, believing, believing what you did and knowing that the salvation is from Christ. And that is our foundation is in Christ and our foundation in our salvation is in Christ. Pray for boldness to be fruitful in the direction uh, and submit to the gospel mandate. We have a job to do and we are to make, take dominion until all nations are his footstool. All nations are his footstool. We have that job to make, uh, and take dominion. Not to be the ruling power. But can you imagine this? A world would be a better place, right? <clears throat> If everybody was Christian, everybody was in Christ, the world would be a better place. And we're not just like Christian in name, but we're truly submissive, that we, we love each other with that, uh, that, that love that surpasses all of us. And we, in, we desire to support and promote each other uh, like a Christian should. 
if the world was filled with that, how much better would it be? It'd be, it'd be wonderful. So think about this, and, and I hear this. It's like the world's falling apart. It's getting worse. It's, 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 it's going downhill. It's, we, it's, we're just losing traction. Imagine this and realize this. When Jesus said those words, go and be, uh, go therefore making disciples, how many was he talking to? Eleven. Eleven. That's it. Just 11. In this room, raise your hand if you believe that, that Jesus is your, your salvation. Raise your hand. We got more than 11. So by, by all standards, 11 to what we have now, we're in a better world. And if you think about how dark it was, that that was all they had working at that time, and we have this many, what could we do if we had that same passion, that same fervency, that same desire that the gospel was going to be proclaimed, that Jesus' name was going to be uh, uh, just shouted? How much more tractions could we have? How much more could we do? How many more people could come to Christ if we just took seriously our true occupation? Romans 14, 11, and we're gonna, just these two verses and we'll finish up. Romans 14, 11, and for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Every knee shall bow. That's a promise that we have in, for the future. We're part of that promise that dominion is supposed to be taken by us in Christ's name for the whole world. John 14, 6. And if you don't know this one, this is one that should just be etched in your heart. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes, no one comes to the Father except through me. Our foundation in our salvation is in Christ. The finished work of our salvation is his, his righteous life, his death, his burial, his resurrection into triumph, and our reconciliation to our creator God. That is our foundation, and sharing that is our job. And as the, 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 uh, the ladies come up, I hope you see this, and, and, and in this next week, in this next week, and there's a lot of you that I don't know personally, I hope that we have new faces. You got six days to get this done. And at the end of the six days, when you come in, I want you to know that God is going, and you bring that friend. Now, you still come even if you don't have a friend, but when you bring that friend, know that God is going, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Every day that you, you proclaim the gospel and share and train and disciple and, and to help somebody in their sanctification process, God's going, well done, well done. Keep it up. We got, our own, we got a cheerleader, it's in scripture. Just know that if we do these things, we're going to hear this. And that's exciting. All right, so the, the, uh, the ladies are gonna come up. Right now. <laughs> and I'm going to back this up. And we're going to have communion in a second. And uh, we're going to do it a little bit different today. Uh, we're still going to walk up and we're going to grab it. But I want you to go back to your seat. And we're going to take it as uh, corporately all together. Um, and as they sing this first song, and this song just touches my heart because it's uh, great is thy faithfulness. There's a line in there that says, there is no shadow of turning with thee. That the promise that, that we read in scripture of a Messiah to come the, the seed, in the seed of Abraham, that there's a promise and he shows up and that he is going to preserve us as we look back to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and we look forward to his return, that we have the same promise that they had and that we have the promise of him coming and there is no shadow. The rest of the world will let you down. I will let you down. Um, you'll let yourself down, 
but there's one promise that God will not let you down and he will preserve you and he will keep you and there is no shadow of turning with him. And as that song's going through and I want you to sit there and you hold the communion elements and, and the bread is the, the symbol of Christ's body and the juice is the symbol of his blood that was shed on the cross and that promise that God made in the garden of the Messiah dying and paying for our sins on the cross. We're holding those elements that that is the promise that was made. And if he made that promise and he came through for us in, in, in that act of death on the cross, that we can have confidence in him preserving us until his return where he takes us home. When you're holding us, he is faithful to, to do what he said. So I'm gonna pray, and then um, as we start to sing, come up quickly, get back to your seat. You can sit, you can kneel, you can stand, you can sing along, but in this moment, consider who you are. You're nothing but dust that was created, and God, God put you here that he's mindful of you. God, Jesus condescended himself to come down and be part of this, this human, uh, in this human uh, world. And that he's paid that sacrifice for us. Come in a point, come in a, a, a state of repentance. Come thinking that God forgive me of my sins and then to ask for strength that you can be more obedient that you can then serve him and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the, the love that you showed us that, that even though we are just so small in comparison to the entire universe that you think of us that you know who we are, that you love us, that, that we don't bring anything to the table, that it's not anything wonderful that we've done or ever will do, but it's you that have shown us love. And that love is in the grace that you showed in the death of, of Christ on the cross and that the redemption is there. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we desire to know you better. And as we take these communion elements, Lord, and we ask that you will help us be humble and submissive to your love. Amen.